scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Timothy 1, 18-20, and that can be found on page 1177 in the Black Pew Bible. First Timothy 1, uh, 18-20, page 1177, starting in verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. But we are glad you're here, and I'm glad to be here. We were gone on vacation last week. We went to Washington, D.C. Uh, to see the, the museums and, and not all the national monuments and all those things. I thought it was important for our kids to get to go and see, and we had an opportunity to do. Thank you for letting us go, and uh, to do that, we had a, a good time. But it is always good to be home. When you're not here, especially we're not having service on Wednesday night, it's like we hadn't, hadn't seen you in a month, you know. Um, but we were in D.C., and we saw all these museums. One of, one of the interests was the Holocaust Museum, and we, we read and we saw all the atrocious suffering of the Jews at the hands of the Nazis during World War II. We saw the World War II Memorial, the Vietnam Memorial, the Korean War Memorial, um, all these memorials to uh, these battles, those who lost their lives defending our country and fighting for for us. We went to Arlington Cemetery and there's hundreds of thousands of soldiers buried there that have lost their lives. And think about America and our short history. We've been in quite a few skirmishes, quite a few conflicts, quite a few wars. And we, we discussed this briefly with our kids, talking about injustice. And we talked about just war. What makes a, a war just? Think about that for a moment. What makes a war just? A just war is a war that is right, a war that should be fought. Well, Paul is saying to Timothy in our text that Bryce read for us, he's telling Timothy the fight he is commanded to fight is a just fight. He, he writes to him in verse 18, wage the good warfare. The NIV says, fight the good fight. Fight this battle, Paul says. This is a good fight. It's a good cause. It is a worthwhile struggle that Timothy was to be involved in and that we are to be involved in as well. Paul had, just by way of context, he had left Timothy in Ephesus. He had charged him. He had given him the responsibility of correcting some false teachers, some bogus teachers. These false teachers were not from outside that came within and threatened the church. No, they came from within the church and was threatening the church. They were emphasizing things like myths, these old wives' tales, genealogies. They were causing a lot of speculation. We talked about that, how that was causing a lot of doubt, not faith. They were using the law in a way that they were not supposed to be used. Uh, think about the law when it's misused. It's always a works-based salvation. 
a merit-based deal, right? It's a, a pull-yourself-by-the-bootstraps kind of theology that, that is the religion of the world, really. I mean, it's the religion of every false religion. Every religion with Christianity being the exception. Be good and all is going to be good. Good deeds outnumber the bad ones and you're okay with the man upstairs kind of religion. Well, Paul has just shared his testimony in verses 12 through 17. Speaking of bogus teachers, Paul was as bogus as they come. He was a Pharisee. He was supposed to know the Old Testament, but he didn't understand much about the Messiah. In fact, the Messiah had came. He had been crucified. He was buried, resurrected, and had ascended. But the ones who had been filled with the Holy Spirit were spreading the good news. And what was Paul doing? He was doing his best to eradicate the new church. He didn't understand the gospel, but he shares his story. And he shares his story in order to share the gospel. This is who I used to be, but now this is who I am because of the gospel, because of the mercy of God. And he says, if God can save me and change me, he can change anybody. And the gospel was life-changing. In fact, it was history-changing when Jesus changed Paul. Paul proposes the, the gospel is powerful enough to change anybody. And he had written that he hopes to come to see them soon. But until he gets there, he wants them to know how they should do church. Paul in chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 5 has given Timothy a charge, a command, an order, a, a responsibility to confront these false teachers. In our text today, we'll see Paul exhorting Timothy to Obey these words. He's going to exhort Timothy to remember the prophetic words that were spoken over him and allow that to be his motivation to accomplish what Paul wanted him to accomplish. He's compelling Timothy to hold on to the faith and to keep a good conscience because there's two men in the church who hadn't done that. And so Paul is going to instruct them, Timothy to put them out of the church. And so three points from the message today, just a few verses, and they come right, our points come right from the text. Timothy is commanded to obey Paul's words and remember the prophecies made about him, verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Timothy, he didn't have the, the New Testament with him. He didn't have the New Testament letters previously written by Paul, most likely. He didn't have the Gospels because some of them had not even been written at this point in time. But he did have Paul. Paul is entrusting these words to Timothy and instructing him and as he's instructing him, God is instructing Timothy through the Apostle Paul. And so Timothy hears these words, and he's going to take them back to the church, the churches in Ephesus, and going to give them instruction. 
Well, there was a prophecy made about Timothy, and we don't know the specifics, but 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5-7 through 7, tells us a little bit about this event, event. And I am reminded of your sincere faith. This is Paul's second letter. Paul had been released from prison. He goes on to Macedonia, where he pins this letter to Timothy. A short time after this letter, he's going to be arrested again. And from there, he pins 2 Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So there's this prophetic message that was spoken by the, the body of the elders, by Paul himself, by the, uh, the prophets. And this happened when Timothy is serving in the church in Lystra. If you remember, Paul, on his first missionary journey, goes to Lystra, shares the gospel. The church begun, began there in Lystra. He was only there a short time, and he's dragged out of town. He's stoned, left for dead. On his second missionary journey, if you remember, that's when he picks up Timothy. So in these few short years, Timothy most likely converted during Paul's first stay in, in Lystra. And during this time, he's faithful in the church. He's serving in the church, meeting needs in the church. He's growing in the Lord. And when Paul gets there on his second missionary journey, he sees this faithful servant. And he, he asks Timothy to go along with him on his second missionary journey. And he continues with him. From that point on, I want you to just point out that gifts are always revealed in the context of serving. So Paul sees something in Timothy and decides to take him on, a, on his missionary journeys with him. And he becomes his son in the faith. And rightly so, because Paul probably is responsible for him coming to, to know the Lord. But he noticed something in Timothy. He knows he was gifted. What's your spiritual gift? If you're a believer, you're gifted for the Lord's service, supernaturally given gifts to serve the church. What is your giftings? Some of us, maybe we sit around and we don't serve because we haven't been set apart by the church. We're waiting on somebody to set us apart. Or sometimes we, we don't serve in the church because we, we might say, well, I don't have that gifting. Well, if you think about it, we're all commanded in Scripture to do almost every one of the tasks for which there are spiritual gifts. Well, I'm not just, I'm just not, I don't have the gift of encouraging. But we're commanded to do what? To be encouraging. I don't have the gift of evangelism. But we as Christians are commanded to Share the gospel. Well, I'm not gifted to teach. I'm not gifted to preach. But we can all teach, can't we? Yeah. Timothy is called out, set apart by Paul, by the elders of the church there in Lystra. It seems like there was a, an ordination of sorts taking place. We don't, other than 2 Timothy chapter 1, the scripture we just read, we don't know much about what was said about Timothy. 
I think it's probably much like the ordinations we would have here. Some of you have seen an ordination, right? What happens with, if you've never seen an ordination, what usually takes place is someone is questioned. There's a man who seems to be gifted. He's been faithful. Again, it's not just you pluck somebody out of the church randomly. No, someone who's been faithful, serving in the church, like Timothy was serving in Lystra. Somebody who meets the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll get to those in a few weeks. They're questioned. And they're brought before the church. Usually there's a charge given to them, just like Paul has given to Timothy. There's a charge. They're taught what their role will be and their responsibilities will be. And then the ordained men of the church come and they lay hands on this brother and they pray for him and ask God's blessing on his ministry and for protection and all these things. And it's a formal service. It's a setting a man apart for service. And that's what happened with Timothy. It was a formal thing. These prophets spoke words over him. And it's formal. These ordination services is formal for a reason. Because it's important. I mean, formal things usually are, right? You don't wear Crocs and a tie-dyed T-shirt to a wedding or a funeral, do you? Or you shouldn't. Some do, unfortunately. Yeah, but this ordination, it's, it's important. And this was important in the life of Timothy. It was important in the life of the church and listeners. It was important in the life of the church, right? The early church. We see this ordination, this um, people being set apart elsewhere. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And this is... Bef- this is Right after uh, Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And so we see this setting apart of Paul and Barnabas. We see this formal ceremony, if you will, of these men who are called out to do a work for the Lord. And the, and the and a similar thing had happened to Timothy. They gave him a charge, and Paul is saying to Timothy, don't forget that moment, that, that charge, the seriousness of that moment and what was said to you. In my life, I'm, uh, I, I remember different times of my life where I was tempted to sin, tempted to do things that would damage my reputation, my testimony, my witness. And in my own life, I'm reminded of words that were spoken to me years ago by godly men. The Lord has used that in my life time and time and time again. My ordination service was important. It was a formal occasion, but it was powerful for me. And the Lord has used that in my life time and time and time again. And it's brought me 
draw me to the Lord when I was tempted to walk away, when I was frustrated. You know, you have those frustrating days where you're like, man, I just want to quit this. I'm going to get a nine to five where I can clock out and go home, right? But I hear those words of those godly men in my life, and the Lord used it in a mighty way, motivated me to continue on in ministry and to be faithful. Because honestly, it wasn't because I was loving the Lord so much. No, it's I didn't want to run into them at Walmart and have to look them in the eye and they know that I'd fallen away or blown it. But the Lord has used that in my life. And Paul is doing the same thing in Timothy. Remember what was said about you and what was said to you. Don't forget that. Let that motivate you. So Paul has given Timothy responsibility and reminded him of the words spoken to him by the prophets. The second thing we see in our text, verse 18 and 19, fight the good fight by holding on to the faith and keeping a clear conscience. The charge was to fight the good fight. Holding faith. I think you could say holding the faith, right? In the, verse 19, you'll see the article, the, there with faith. It is the faith. And I, I mentioned that before we said the Apostles' Creed this morning. Before we read that together as a church. There's a set of beliefs, a, a system of faith, a belief system that we hold to as Christians. What distinguishes us from other people? Well, we believe these truths. And all of you that are born again, we, we believe these things and we hold on to them. And that's what Timothy is being told here. Hold on to the faith made me think of a, a time when I was younger. My dad and I, we grew up uh, hunting a lot. We spent a lot of time hunting. And there wasn't a lot of deer here. started hunting deer when I was, like, in middle school. And there wasn't a lot of deer around here yet. There was a several few little game reserves, Anderson Tully, Shelby Forest. And somehow we got permission to hunt at this place in Fayette County, and there was some deer there. And we get there, and we're going hunting. And my dad and I are going to hunt together. And I was about, I was probably Seth's age. I might have been a little bit younger. But um, we get to this tree, and it's like this 100-year-old oak tree. And then about three-quarters way up this 100-year-old oak tree, it's like a, it looks like a treehouse to me as a kid. And in the side of that tree, there were these spikes, big, long nails that were, that were driven into the tree. And so we tied our guns up, and what happens if you don't know about this, you get up into the tree stand, then you pull your guns up, which are not loaded, right up to the stand so you don't have to worry about carrying them as you climb the stand well the spikes were so far apart and i was real i was always little i'm little now but i was really little as a child i couldn't i couldn't climb to the next spike to get up the tree and so dad you, you can't imagine him doing this i'm sure he said get on boy uh don't let go and he begins to climb the tree and i'm hanging on to his neck and I'm climbing the tree. He says, just don't let go. And so we climb up three-quarters of the way up this, I don't know how many feet. I, I, don't, I can't really do that very well, you know. To me, it was like 1,000 feet. It wasn't that tall. But if I let go, I was going to fall to my death. And sometimes I'm thinking, I don't know that I would do that, you know. I don't know if I would trust my son to hold on. But Dad knew, you're not going to let go because if you do, you're going to fall. No, you're going to hang on. But I, I held on to him, and we got up to the top of that tree, but I was holding on as if my life depended on it. Because it was. What Paul is telling Timothy, hold on to your faith. Hold on to it like that. Don't let it go. Paul is telling Timothy, hold on to your faith like your life 
depends on it. Notice it, it says the faith and a good conscience. That's what must be held on to. And faith is this belief. It's a, a system. It's this doctrine. But it's not just a set of doctrines, a set of beliefs, a set of truths that we hold on to. But it also includes trusting those doctrines. It's not as, yeah, yeah, these are the doctrines. But no, we have to trust them. You know, I, I believe that there's one God. I believe he spoke the world into existence. I believe that he's holy and righteous and good. I believe that we're all sinful and we're separated from him. We don't have a relationship with him. I believe that he remedied that by sending his son 2,000 years ago who was the God-man, not just a man, not just God. He's the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he lived this on this earth for 33 years. Obeyed the Lord, the Father. He obeyed the Father in every way. Completely obeying the Father. He was perfect and holy and righteous. And he died, not because he should have died, because he willingly died. He took the place of sinners like you and me. He bore the wrath of the Father on the cross. He died physically, but the wrath of the Father was poured out upon him. He died. He was buried. On the third day, he rose from the grave so that sinners could be justified. All these doctrines, we as Christians, we, we, we hold on to them. Bryce, it's not just that you know them to be true, but you hold on to them. Say, he did that for me. The God who spoke the word into existence loves me, and he sent his son to die for me. And when Jesus died, he set me free. So it's not either or. It's not, oh, this, the, the faith, we... we We've got to hold on to these truths, these set of doctrines that make us Christian. And it's not just, oh, we have to believe those. No, it's both. It's the set of doctrines, and we have to hold on to them, and we have to trust them. What are you trusting today for your salvation? If you're trusting anything but Jesus, you're off base. You're wayward and you're wrong. How can you stand before a holy God? If you say anything other than Jesus died for my sin, you're depending on something errant. So faith involves taking all these truths personally, to ourselves, believing that God has done this for us, right? He says, wage the good, wealth, good warfare, holding faith, right? So we're trusting. Timothy, trust these truths. Hold on to them. Don't be swayed by false teachers who says, uh, the law can help us get close to God. Mm, don't be led astray by that stuff. Hold on to these truths. The gospel. But he also says a good conscience. Now, some people say that a conscience is given to us to teach us the difference between right and wrong. But that's not really true. It sounds good. The only thing wrong with it is what? It's wrong, right? No, the conscience is given to us rather to resist any deviation from the truth. 
from the right and wrong that we know. So if you think our conscience is given to us to indicate what is wrong or what is right, you'll begin to rely upon your feelings to determine right and wrong. Okay. So a good conscience is the behavior that results from our faith. A good conscience is a, a synonym for an obedient heart which wants to obey and please the Lord. Whenever God speaks and you know what he tells you to do, regardless of what your flesh or feelings say, and you obey, that's keeping a good conscience. And we have to do that every day as Christians. We live in a terrible world, and we're sinful and selfish in our old habits. You think, ah, oh, man, I haven't done that in 20 years. I thought the Lord took that sin for me. I haven't talked like that in years. Where did that come from? It's an old habits. Old habits are hard to break. They sure are. Stuff just keeps coming back up, coming back up. Even as we mature, these old things coming back up. Why did I think that thought? Why did I say that? Why did I feel that way? Doing what pleases the Lord, this is the way to maintain a good conscience. And when you blow it, which we do, what do you do? Okay, we keep short accounts. We bring it to the Lord, we confess our sin, we repent, and we turn from it. And we thank the Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that Jesus lived perfectly, and I have his perfect record. I'm glad you don't count on my record to make me right with you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? We have Jesus' record. Jesus obeyed completely. So if we're in Christ, what Chris was talking in small group this morning, if we're in Christ, we've obeyed completely. Man, isn't that wonderful? God doesn't count our sin against us because Jesus gives us his perfect record. That's our position. I mean, that's our, that's our, that's our position, but our conduct is down here, right? Our conduct has to grow into our position, and that's what sanctification is, little by little by little by little by, right? When we blow it, we fail, we, we confess our sin, and we come back to the Lord, thank Him for Jesus, thank Him for forgiveness. We walk in obedience. That's how we keep a, a good conscience. Faith and conscience, belief and behavior, they're tied together. Let me explain this. He says, what we've got to do, we've got we to fight the good fight. How do we do that? We hold on to our faith. Not just the, the doctrines, but we trust it, right? It, 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 and then we, we, we hold on to a good conscience. But they're tied together. You don't have one without the other. If your belief system is faulty, meaning embracing anything other than the gospel, right, your behavior will be faulty as well. For example, the false teachers there in Ephesus, they were using the law wrongly, which means... When you use the law wrongly, what you're going to do is you're going to use the law as rungs on a ladder to get us to heaven. I just got to do good stuff. If I do enough good stuff, I'm going to be okay. So what happens when your belief system is faulty? I'm thinking about the law, misusing the law. Maybe I can just do this and I'll be okay. Then what happens? then our behavior is affected. Because what do we do? If we use the law that way, then what do we do? We become legalistic. I just got to do this and 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 then everything's okay. 
But equally true is if your conscience is not clear, you're not going to hold on to the faith. You'll turn loose of the doctrines of Christianity. An, an example, a man who says he's a Christian. He's born again. He's trusting Jesus for salvation. But he gives in to temptation and decides he doesn't want to be married anymore. He wants to be with this other person. What happens to his faith? Your conduct, your behavior gets wayward. You can't hang on to your faith in that right belief system because it's got to give way. I hear it. I see it all the time. Is somebody being... Are they being faithful? Are they trusting the Lord? They'll have a good conscience. But their behavior is bad. They can't hang on to the truths of the gospel. They start letting them go, loosen their grip on those truths. They have to, to avoid the moral implications of God's truth in their own lives. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 tells us it's when people are determined to live in unrighteousness that they suppress the truth. Suppress the truth, the faith system, right, that we hold on to. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Some in Ephesus had seared their consciences. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some would depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And then what do they do? It goes on to tell what they do. They forbid marriage. They require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Your consciences are seared. You don't hold on to the truth of the gospel. You've got to turn loose of those. You start grabbing these other things, right? John Stott, he quotes John Calvin. He says, a bad conscience is the mother of all heresies. These two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they had shipwrecked their faith. Mark Dever, he says that our consciences are like lighthouses warning us, telling us not to go near the forbidden places. And these two men, they had disregarded that warning and they went headlong into sin and they shipwrecked their faith. Talked to a, a lady not too long ago. She wasn't sure if she wanted to be married any longer. We discussed the biblical reasons for divorce, and she agreed. She didn't fall into that category. And so I asked her very pointedly, are you a Christian whom Christ died for and made atonement for? Are you born again? She didn't respond. Is it because she didn't respond because she wasn't sure? Or was it because if she says she's born again and she belongs to Jesus, then what, she, what does she have to do? She has to obey the Lord. She has to stay married to her husband and be faithful to him in order to be faithful to God. 
what happens oftentimes in instances like that, one's desires to rebel and do what their flesh dictates, so they begin to rationalize and they turn loose, they turn loose of those, those gospel truths. They start sounding a lot like Eve did in the garden, or Satan did in, in the garden, speaking to Eve. Did, did God really say? Did God really mean that? Does God really expect us to actually live like that today in our culture? You don't have a good conscience. You want to do what you want to do. You want to rebel against the Lord, live in sin. You're holding on to the faith. You can't hold on to those doctrines. They go hand in hand. Our faith, belief system, good conscience, they go together. So let's keep a clear conscience and let's hold on to our faith. That's part of the reason why we have our confession time, right? Yeah, it helps us do that. Thirdly, those who don't persevere in the faith are not true believers. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What does it mean that they took Hymenaeus and Alexander and handed them over to Satan? Most likely, Paul handing these men over to Satan refers to their removing them from the church. Excommunication is what it's called. Church discipline is what it's also called. These men were removed from the church because of their ungodly lives and their false teaching. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a man there who most likely he took his his father had most likely passed away and he had his stepmother and he took his stepmother in as his wife. And so Paul addresses that situation, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So this man in Corinth was, was removed from the church. And if you read 2 Corinthians, it seems, it seems that he's restored. And that's the goal, right? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Hymenaeus and Alexander were put out of the church. And it seems that they're put out of the church by Paul. But I think what's going on here, Paul is an apostle. He has authority, doesn't he? But I think what happened is Paul's already made that decision, yet they, they are not living like Christians. They need to be removed from the church. And so what he's wanting Timothy to do is to carry that out, I think, what's, is actually what's going on here. And how do you do that? Well, according to Matthew 18, we don't have time to do that here. You'll probably be able to do that in your small group. But according to Matthew, you do that according to Matthew 18, where you show them their sin. If they don't repent, you take a brother with you. If they still don't repent, you bring them before the church. If they still don't repent, then you remove them from the church. And Hymenaeus is probably the same one mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. He was teaching that second coming had already occurred, and their talk was spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. That's probably who that is. Uh, Alexander is more of a common name. 2 Timothy 4, 14. It could be the coppersmith that is mentioned there. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. This is Paul speaking, right? He's in prison. This is, this is his second letter to Timothy. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So he had, done, he had opposed Paul in some uh, terrible way that had affected Paul. These two, they shipwrecked their faith. Their, their, their doctrine, their belief system, as well as their behavior, was not biblical. 
It's not orthodox. It's not Christian. So as a result, they're removed from the church. Or Paul wants Timothy to probably carry this out. That's difficult, isn't it? Thinking about that, removing somebody from the church. I mean, you think about the church thing. The church is a loving place. And we accept everybody. Man, anybody can come here. We can. Don't care. No matter your race, no matter your background, no matter your life. Yeah, everybody's welcomed in church, right? Sure. It doesn't matter how heinous you are, because we're all sinners. Yeah, we invite people to come, right? But when you receive people into your fellowship as believers, it's one thing for people to come on Sunday morning, right, for worship. But it's another thing talking about who's a part of the church. And what happens is, is if you want to be part of the church, we have a, a process that we got, kind of go through. And, and we talk about, we, we, we have a meeting, we, we talk about your testimony, and we usually have a dinner. We call it membership dinner. And you come to the house, Jenny cooks, and we talk about the church, and we go through our church polity and what we believe. You read all these things that tells you everything about our church. And you ask questions, and we ask questions about you. And it's, it's not like, well, you're just trying to see if you can fit in with our church and whatever. But no, we're trying to fit, figure out if you are a believer and if that's a good fit and whatnot. And so what happens is I'll, as the pastor, I'll introduce you to the church and I'll recommend, hey, we ought to accept this person. I think we should accept this person as a, into our church fellowship. They align with us theologically. They understand our church polity. And we're, I think we should put our seal of approval on them saying, yeah, I think they're a believer. I think they love the Lord. And they're saying they want to be lock arms with us and, and live life with us. And we're saying, hey, we think that'll be a good idea. And we agree to do that as a church. We decide that as a church family. So that's kind of what happens. But then you have a situation like this. You have somebody who used to look like a Christian. Now they don't look like a Christian anymore. Well, the problem is a church is made up of who? Of Christians, of believers. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we don't invite everybody to come because a lot of you, some of you have been in our church for a long time. You're not a, a part of the church family formally, but you come and we treat you just the same, right? But here, what happened here, these people were two guys, they weren't acting like they're Christian. In fact, they're acting like non-Christians. And so what Paul is telling Timothy to do is take that seal of approval off of them let them know they're not a part of the church. And what's the purpose? It's not final. It's not final judgment like you're done forever. No. The hope is that you'll be removed from the church and the Lord will use that, that discipline, right, to bring you back to repentance and, and faith. Unfortunately, we've had to do that here at our church, right? It's a few years ago, a man was appeared to be Christian, Loved his wife, loved his family, and all of a sudden he didn't want to be married anymore. He didn't want to live with his wife. He didn't want to live with his son. And he wanted to live with somebody else and live his own life. And so what do we do? We did Matthew 18, right? We go to him and we lovingly encouraged him, pled with him, pleaded with him. We went with uh, several of us went again and no movement. We brought it for the church, still no movement. And we had to remove him from the church and that's unfortunate it's terrible oh it's terrible but it needed to happen it needed to happen for him he looked like he was a believer and now he looks like he's not a believer unfortunately he still hasn't repented right he's still living that lifestyle unfortunately but we're still hopeful aren't we 
And as you think about them, you still pray for him. Did I do too? Yeah. And you see them, you encourage them, you love on them. Call them to repentance. Yeah, that's what happened with these two guys in the church in Ephesus. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14 says, We know we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm till the end. What that verse tells us, you write down Hebrews 3, 14, it tells us that not everybody says they're a Christian and Christian. Not everybody who says they're a Christian can have assurance of their salvation. Who can have assurance? Somebody who holds our original confidence firm till the end. Chris was talking about Miss Fran, Miss Fran Delashman, she's on hospice and she's in her last days and we love her, we love her family. Miss Cindy is dear to us, Miss Fran is dear to us. Miss Fran's our oldest member of our church. And what do we pray for her? We pray for she'll persevere in her faith. Keep trusting Jesus. Miss Fran, keep trusting Jesus. Jesus died for sinners. Keep trusting Jesus. We want to persevere. If they don't persevere, we don't really need to have assurance, right? We have no assurance. Yeah. What do we do with this text application-wise? How do we apply this to our lives? I, th I think, firstly, we need to remember that gifts are always revealed in context of serving. What is your spiritual gift? Timothy was serving in Lystra, and Paul saw him and, and recognized his gifting. There's prophets were speaking words to him. Paul's reminding Timothy of these words to encourage him, to motivate him. But I think for us, gifts are always revealed in context of serving. If you don't know your spiritual gift, I'd love to talk to you about that. Oh, Pastor, you're going to tell me my spiritual gift? <laughs> Probably not. I can tell you what I observe. But that's how you know your spiritual gift is you serve and you do. And you do things that you don't normally would do. And then, you know, da, 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 da. I'm not really a teacher. And some of you have done that, haven't you? You've taught, taught, and you try to talk, try, try to teach. That's not me. And I say, yeah, that's not you, bro. That's not your gift. But what is your gift? Let's find it out. But what does the church do? That's a wonderful thing about the church. The church affirms that in you. That's what happened with Timothy, and that's what happened with you. Hey, I don't know what my gifts are. Da, da, da. After a while, people say, man, you're really good at that. I appreciate you doing that. So I think we need to serve to know what our gifts are so we can be best suited for the church. Now, that doesn't mean that if, if you're, a, you know, you're, you're in a situation, you're doing something, you're like, well, I'm not really gifted in this area. I do a lot of things I'm not gifted in. Every day I do things, and I serve in ways I'm not gifted in that way. Yeah, it's part of what we do. Right? Garbage is full. I'm not really good at taking out the garbage. Guess what you got to do? You got to take the dead gum garbage out. Yeah, that's the part we do in the church. But you need to be serving. Everybody, I'm looking out here. You need to serve in the church. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, you come here on Sunday morning, and that's awesome. We welcome you to come, and we want you to come. But I want to encourage you to be involved. Be involved in a way that you can serve. And everybody can do something. Because if you're not serving, you're really not experiencing church. Well, I went to church. You went to the church. 
But that doesn't mean you experience church. You experience church by serving and giving and, and using your gifts so the church can benefit and other people can grow in there. You know, that's what Ephesians 4 t- teaches us. We're all gifted differently, but as we use our gifts together, as we're, we've locked arms and live in life together, then we mature and we grow. You don't grow just by coming to church and listening to a sermon and that's it. That, you don't get a lot of growth from that. That's not the biblical teaching in the New Testament. No, we grow as we're living life together. So that's real important. So I encourage you to, application number one, let's serve. If you're like, well, I don't really know what to do. Tell me, i got a list this long of things you can do. Secondly, I think we need to affirm those people who are being faithful. Like I said, in my life, God, people have said things to me. There's people that I admire, people that I look up to, godly people. And they've said things in my life where in my moment of weakness, God has brought those to my attention, brought those words to my remembrance, and it kept me from sinning. It kept me from doing something really stupid. So how about we affirm people? We see people that are being faithful. Let's affirm them. Hunter's back there. Phil's back there. Let's affirm these people. Man, thank you for doing that. Appreciate you getting here at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. Stay until Wednesday to 10. We need to affirm people. Hey, thank you for doing this. Thank you for being faithful in this area, in this area, in this area. We need to affirm people because the Lord will use your words to encourage that brother in time of need. So application number two, let's just be real, make sure we're affirming people. And I'm, I don't need a lot of affirmation. I don't need a lot of attaboys. Just my personality, I just don't. But, it, but it's been helpful in my life. And there's some people who do need a lot of that. So let's make sure we're giving that to people. And so because I don't need that a lot, you know what? I don't do that enough. I don't do that my wife enough. But I need to be more affirming. So let's be more affirming church, encouraging people, right? Affirming people and they're, as they're being faithful. The third thing by way of application, I just want to ask you, are you being faithful? Are you holding on to the faith? Are you holding on to the faith? Like I was hanging on my dad's neck, right, as an 11-year-old boy climbing this huge tree are you holding on the faith that way do you have a good conscience just a moment we all know people who have shipwrecked their faith right now think of this person in your mind's eye see their face you know their name you got them right everybody we have a long list of people who have once we thought they were faithful we thought they were christian but they've kind of shipwrecked their faith and now we don't think they're probably a christian they're not living a christian life you know people who shipwreck their faith. Okay, keep that picture in your mind and that name in your mind. All right, I want to ask you this question. Do you know what they were doing immediately preceding turning away from the faith? Right? They're, they're, they used to look, look, it seemed like they were holding on to the, the, this belief system, this Christian belief system, but it kind of slipped out, and now they're just kind of out there, right? Well, immediately preceding them, turning away from the faith, what what were they doing? Or another question, what were they doing immediately preceding them violating their consciences? And they all have, the answer is all the same. For all these people, as we, as as, us believers, we have these people in our mind who've shipwrecked their faith. You know what they were all doing immediately prior to them letting go of their faith and not having a good conscience? They were coasting. They were coasting. They're just going through the motions. So my question by way of application for you, how are you doing with your, 
Are you holding on to faith? Do you got the death grip on it? Holding on to it like your life depends on it? Do you have a good conscience as, as you, you're, you're tempted to sin? Are you telling somebody about that? Hey, brother, I got this thing going on, man. I've been looking at stuff on my computer and my phone. and I need to tell you about it because I'm scared. I'm fixing to do something crazy here. It's fixing to wreck my life. Or are you just coasting? Everybody that's forsaken the faith, immediately prior to them, forsaken the faith, they were coasting, just kind of getting by, going through the motions. Just a warning to us. No, we hang on to faith like it's, our life depends on it, right? Keeping a good conscience. Running from sinful things, running from worldly things, trying to stay away from the world. Keep it at bay. That's, that's application number three. Don't coast. Don't just get by. Fourthly, application number four. Let's pray for those who've fallen away. We got a, a gentleman who was in our church. We thought he was a brother, and he walked away and not living like a Christian. We need to pray for him. We need to pray for those who, in our mind's eye, we talk about somebody shipwrecked their faith. We need to pray for them. James chapter 5, verse 20 talks about saving somebody from the fires of hell. Snatching them from the fires, right? We need to do that by praying. Yeah. And, and as always, fifthly, for, for us here at Beaver, we, we always do this every week. Um, Application number five is always, do you know Jesus? Do you have faith? You're not holding on to any faith. You don't have a good conscience because you're lost. You're not born again. You, it means you're at enmity with God. You're separated from the Father. You don't have a relationship with God because you've never repented and never trusted the work Christ did on the cross as your own. And so you're just lost. Meaning, like, if you died, like, now or when you leave here, you're going to go to hell and be in hell forever, and God's going to pour out his wrath on you forever and ever and ever because of your rebellion. And that's what all of us do. In fact, we're all on a one-way road to hell. The little ones, you see the little ones, the little sweet kids, they're on a one-way road to hell. The older folks, we're all on a one-way road to hell, right? Unless they've repented and trusted the work Christ did on the cross for them. We're all destined, headed for damnation, and that's what we deserve. But the good news, that's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus, God's son, took on flesh and he lived for us and he died for us. He died for sinners. And God wants to save you. If you've never repented and trusted Christ, then I want to encourage you to do that. Do that today. Cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've never repented and trusted Christ. And I don't want to go to hell and I don't want to be separated from you. I want to know you. I want my sin to be forgiven. I want my, the weight of my guilt to be taken away. I know Jesus died for me. I know that he rose on the third day so I could be made right with you. I want to be made right with you, God, today. Forgive me. Something like that. I'd love to talk to you about that. If that's a, a problem or a question, you're wondering about that, where you are with the Lord. I'd love to talk to you about that. Okay? It's been a good day. I'm glad you're here. Pray the Lord bless you through the music, through the preaching of the word, through the small group today. This week we um, 
we don't have Wednesday night Bible study. We want through July and then part of August, uh, taking a break. We do every year. Pray for Miss Fran Delashman. She's in hospice. Miss Cindy, I'll keep you updated on on that and how she's doing. She slept well, but Ronald says she slept last night uh, better than she had, and so that's a blessing. So we're just praying for God's will to be done, Him to be gracious to her, be gracious to that family. Okay, I'll keep you updated on that. Get you some vegetables. They're over in the Family Life Center. On the table over there, get you some corn, some other things if you'd like. Take that home with you. Um, and we'll, we'll close in prayer. If you're visiting with us, we're really glad you're here. This is the thing. Um, if you didn't fill out a card, if you, you're a first-time person, we give you a little gift. And it's a pretty cool little gift. It's not like a bookmark or anything like that. It's like a cool little coffee mug, and it's kind of nice. Uh, if you're a first-time person, First-time guest, you ought to have gotten one of those. But if you didn't fill out a visitor card, I'm not going to show up at your house. I get up really early, like really early. I'm not going to show up at your house like 6 in the morning on Saturday or anything like that. I'm not even going to harass you, but I will send you information about the church via text or email. Um, but if you don't fill that out, I can't send you any information. And so I encourage you to do that. If you're a visitor, make sure you s- fill that out. And... Um, but we are glad you're here. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed, okay? Father, we acknowledge that you're good to us and we acknowledge you giving us your word and it's good for us to read and study and it makes us wise for salvation. I just pray, God, there's any lost soul, a child or a, a student or an adult, that's, I just pray that if they're lost, that they would, that sweet gospel message would ring loud in their ears and they would desire to know you. They would hate their sin. And they would desire to know you in such a way that they're willing to repent and trust Christ. Father, save lost people this morning. And Father, for our church, we just pray that you would help us to be good fighters. We'd fight this just war. Father, that we would hold on to our faith, the faith, those true doctrines. And, Father, we would trust it personally, continuously, trusting in you. And that we would keep a clear conscience, a good conscience. Father, help us to do that. Father, we need you to help us. Without your grace, we're wayward. We're going to go wayward. We're going to wander far from you. We just ask that you would protect us and guard our testimony and guard our witness and use us for your glory. Father, we do know some that have wandered from the faith and they've shipwrecked their faith and we... Think about those people. We ask for you to be gracious to them and help us to be prayerful for them. And Father, maybe there's some here who we've been uh, just kind of coasting and we're not, um, we're not holding on to those, our faith system, those truths, biblical truths, like our life depends on it. We're just kind of going through the motions and we're not really faithful in, a, in much of anything. Let's pray that you would bring conviction. Father, we'd be faithful to you in, in, in every way. And, Father, we'd be serving. You want us to serve in your church, Father, not so that Beaver Baptist Church could grow and be a big church or whatever, but you want us to grow so we can be like you. And in that entail gives you glory. And I pray that you would help us to be more faithful to serving you and doing your kingdom's work. Father, we're so distracted by life. I mean, we're so busy. We live such a fast-paced life. Lord, help us to be disciplined. Help us to be interruptible. Help us to be willing to serve.
Father, we do lift up Miss Fran and ask for grace for her that she would persevere in her faith. For Miss Cindy, for Christy and Teresa, Melissa, let's pray for grace for them and the rest of the family. They would serve her well. Help her to be faithful. Lord, help comfort her physically and spiritually. We pray in Jesus' name.